Good morning, church. We are so thankful for all of you that have made it out today. And we're also thankful for those that are watching us online. Thank you for donating and dedicating your time to, to spend with us, but also spend with God today. Today we're going to spend a little bit of time in remembrance. This is our Remembrance Day service. And today we will be singing our national anthem and laying a wreath today in remembrance of those soldiers that have gone before us and have secured or helped secure our freedom. And as we do that, I want to invite you today to carry with you an attitude of reverence in your remembrance and honor those that have gone on and given their lives. And as the service progresses, we also want to honor and remember Jesus Christ who gave his life for us, for eternal freedom in him. You know, in the scriptures in 2 Chronicles 7, it says that if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then he will hear from heaven and he will hear, or he will hear from heaven and he will heal their land. And when I thought about O Canada this week and how we're going to sing this song, I thought, you know, we really like to sing it with a lot of pomp and circumstance and big military drums. And even before a hockey game, it's such a, a, an inspiring song. But I thought with everything that we're going through this year, let's just take a posture of reverence and sing the song with a spirit of contemplation, but there's one phrase in the whole song as we sing to Canada, there's one phrase that is meant to be directed towards God, and it says, God, keep our land glorious and free. And that's our desire, that's our prayer, not only for us as a people, but for our leadership of our nation that God would encourage them to keep our land glorious and free. Let's stand if you're here with us today and let's sing O Canada with a spirit of reverence today. O Canada, our home and native land, true glowing hearts we see thee rise the true north strong and free from far and wide oh Canada we stand on guard for thee God Keep our land glorious and free. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Oh, Canada. 
Please be seated for those of you that are here. Good morning. 102 years ago, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the armistice between Britain, France, and Germany went into effect, bringing an end to the First World War. More than 625,000 Canadian men and women had served. 154,361 had been wounded, and 61,082 had lost their lives. A full 10% of those who served our country lost their lives for our freedom. The year 1918 and the end of the First World War is the origin of Remembrance Day. It seems so long ago in the context of our lives here today. But at the same time, the reality of war is only as far away as a veteran, a family member, a friend, or a neighbor who has been touched by that war. And although there is nothing glorious about war or about men and women dying in battle, we are here to honor those who fought so bravely. And so today, we take the time to remember and to reflect, to honor those who fought for our freedom in the First World War, the Second World War, the Korean War, and Afghanistan. More than a million and a half Canadians served overseas, and more than 100,000 died. I would also like to acknowledge the veterans who are a part of our congregation, Bob Allen, Roger Baxter, Carmen and Jill Bradley, Karen Milne, Gordon Quantz, and Norm Walsh. This past year, we lost two of our veterans, Leslie Porter and Ralph McLean. In just a few moments, Blake Pridgen and Ralph McLean's great-granddaughter, Hannah, are going to lay a wreath. In fact, they can do that right now as I speak in honor of your grandfather, Hannah. So let us honor those who fought for our country by bowing our heads in a moment of prayer and remind ourselves that the freedom we unquestionably enjoy today was not without great sacrifice. Following the prayer, we will observe a minute of silence. Would you please bow your heads with me? O oh God, you are our ruler and guide, the one in whose hands are the destinies of this nation and every nation. We give you thanks for the freedoms we enjoy in this land and for those who lay down their lives to defend them. We pray that we and all the people of Canada will gratefully remember those who in time of war served faithfully and won our freedom at such cost. May their courage and sacrifice inspire us to live in a spirit of justice, of generosity, and of peace through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ until that day foretold by the prophet Isaiah, when the Lord himself will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples, when they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
This we pray in the name of the one who gave his life for the sake of the world, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. And now we are going to observe some moments of silence in memory of those who gave their lives.
we turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you, because when we see you, we find strength to face the day.
In Lamentations chapter 3, the prophet is reflecting on their days of exile when God's people were away from their homeland. And he says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Ever feel like that? Felt like that in the last eight months? He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The last eight months has been a tumultuous time, a time of great trial. Some people have suffered greatly and experienced great loss. But God has been faithful to us through it all. And it reminds us that our hope is not in this world. Amen? But God has been good. And so what we want to do is ask you to share your stories with us. So we want to be able to show these on video or if you would even write them out and send them to us, and we'll have somebody read them. Would you just share with us how God has revealed himself to you, how he has shown himself faithful to you, how you have experienced the goodness of God during the last eight months. And I'm talking to the people that are watching this online as well. If you just have something you can share that would encourage us that we can celebrate together 
the goodness of God. We would love to hear from you. Thank you. And now I want you to watch this video, uh, an update on our children's ministry. First Naz families, my name is Laurel Pridgen, children's pastor here at Calgary First Church of the Nazarene. This morning I have some big and exciting announcements to make for all of the families here at First Naz who have children. First of all, I would like to share that we are not currently reopening our children's ministry to in-person ministry on Sunday mornings as we had planned for November 22nd. And that is due in large part to the fact that we need more volunteers to be able to have an effective and safe ministry here for our kids. So instead, we will be having streaming content as we have been doing on Sunday mornings for our families to enjoy at home, as well as we invite every family with kids to come to our Sunday morning service um, and participate with their parents here in a service morning. Um, our services will still be live streamed as well, so if you have little ones and you would rather do it at home in the comfort of your home, Second of all, we have um, some exciting news coming for our Awana ministry as we move to a family-style Awana. That will look like families coming to the church together to participate in a family service that is kid-oriented. So we will have lots of fun, lots of exciting things happening on Wednesday nights here starting on November 18th. So if you are a part of our Awana ministry, you can um, get more information through our emails being sent each week. And if you would like to be a part of our Awana ministry and are not yet, please email our administrative assistant and we would be happy to get you connected with our Awana ministry here at First NAS. For our preteens, we have an event planned in November, on November 20th, where we will be going shopping for Operation Christmas Child boxes and going to get ice cream. We will limit our group size to 15 people, so be sure to register as soon as possible if you are interested in coming. And for our December event, we will be having a all-church Christmas caroling evening, and more information will come soon uh, for that as well, so be on the lookout to register. If you've not yet had a chance to sign up for our spiritual parenting course that takes place on Zoom Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, I highly recommend you doing this if you are a parent, a grandparent, anyone who considers themselves a part of a child's spiritual development. I will be learning right alongside you as we go through curriculum that is written by a woman named Michelle Anthony, and she has great wisdom and resources for us as parents as we lead the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus. So go to our website to gain inf more information about that as well. Lastly, I just want to say that I am so happy to be here with you as a children's pastor to families with kids. I want you to know that I am always available here for you to talk, to pray, to help you find resources to uh, disciple your kids during this unique season of being at home and doing things differently. So please know that you can always connect with me by giving me a phone call or sending me an email at childrensministry@firstnas.ca. I love you guys. I'm here with you, and I look forward to what God has in store for this next season. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Where do you think heaven is? Up, up 
Where is heaven? Um, it's up above space. Yeah. Above space, where, like, above the whole universe. Uh, uh, above the clouds. So what do you think heaven will be like? It like, will be perfect. It will be perfect because God made, made a home for us. And it's actually a city in the sky. And a big home for us to live. What do you think heaven will be like? Um, God and lots of gold things and silver things, and you'll have like armor. And what are we gonna do in heaven? Well, I don't know. Okay, and what do you think we will do in heaven? Um, be with God. Sing and praise God. Okay, will it be fun? Yes. What will we do in heaven? We'll like have lots of fun and do cool things. Do you think you'll be able to play and have fun in heaven? Yeah. Yes. Do you think you'll be able to play and have fun in heaven? Yes. Are we gonna be able to play there? Well, I don't think so. They don't have any toys. Okay, well, will heaven be forever? Yes. You know we're gonna be there forever. How long is forever? Um, forever. Forever is until heaven ends. So, how long is forever? Like, all our life. All our life. Do you think it might be longer than that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how long do you think it is? 20 minutes. The forever is the, is the whole 47 and 55 hours. Kids, that was so fantastic. Thank you so much for putting in the time, those who made that video, as well as the kids that participated, and just talking about what heaven might be like. It's so valuable for us to pause and think about what that might be like, uh, allow that to be a vision for our future. Uh, I'm excited to be able to lead us through our time of prayer together. And today is one of those days as uh, a point of remembrance, a point of remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ through communion later on, as well as Remembrance Day that's coming up. So if you would just bow with me, pray with me, uh, I'm gonna be doing prayer a little bit different. So for those of you that are here and for those of you that are watching, I'm gonna be having some slides that encourage you to whisper or pray and share uh, maybe even with your neighbor, someone you're sitting with, these different prayers that we're going to do together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we gather as your community, whether here in this building or beyond. Lord, we trust that you are at work in our lives, and we prepare ourselves to pray as a community. Lord, we enter into a time where we whisper our prayers together, where we respond. Dear God, we praise you because you are. And just respond to your neighbor, uh, whisper to yourself, what is it about God that we praise him for? Dear God, we praise you because you are.
And Lord, out of our declaration of your goodness, your majesty, your beauty, your supremacy, your holiness, your gentleness, your compassion, we become very aware of our shortcomings. We become aware of how we've messed up and made mistakes. And so we come to you now with open hands, willing to say, I am sorry for Lord, I am sorry for not loving you with my whole heart and my neighbor as myself. Lord, I am sorry for my impatience or my lack of grace. Just take a moment to whisper to a neighbor or to yourself, to the Lord, I am sorry for... And Lord, as we make our confession, we cry out to you. We know that you forgive us, and we are so thankful for that. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to the needs of this world, and we ask, please, Lord, please help them. Whoever they might be in your life, I just encourage you to just whisper out, be with them in whatever situations. Please be with Lord, show me what I need to see. Father, please heal. Lord, we remember you and your goodness and your sacrifice. And we ask that you be with those that have suffered violence. Lord, we say thank you for being present with those that are in armed forces and in dangerous places of conflict, that you protect them. Please be with them. Lord, be with those that still suffer from generations of abuse and hurt. Lord, we ask that you teach and guide us, that you help us to be present with, with your spirit, that we be guided by you. Lord, we love you and we adore you, and we are so thankful that we as a community can pray together. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to pray together. Now I'd like to turn our attention to a scripture passage. Now the passage reading for today Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. He wants them to understand the centrality of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and not our own, and how important that is for Paul. The reading is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8, and then 12 to 19. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the fourth Sunday in a series of messages that I've been preaching called Heaven Better Than You Imagined. And I hope that for some of you it is better than you imagined. Um, I drew some uh, conclusions that for some people have been surprising. One of those is that we're not going to heaven when we die. None of us here is going to heaven when we die. Actually, heaven is going to come to us and the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. The second thing is, and it goes along with the first conclusion, and that is that God, people say that God will destroy this earth and the whole universe, and we get that from a passage in 2 Peter in the New Testament. But God will not irrevocably destroy this creation or this earth. God is going to renew this earth. He is going to renew all of creation. And this is the teaching of the Apostle Paul found in Romans chapter 8. The third thing is people think that we're just going to be disembodied spirits and be delivered from this body of ours. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It actually teaches that we are going to be raised, and it teaches this in a number of places, that we are going to be raised again after we die with new resurrection bodies. We will enjoy an embodied existence on the new earth that God is creating for us. And so having a body is not the problem in life. People think that having a body is why we sin and that if we could be delivered from the body, we wouldn't sin. But that isn't true. Actually, the Gnostics, uh, they were like, they're religious thinkers who believe that the body is a prison for the soul. And if only the soul could fly away and be freed from the body, unshackled from the body, that all would be well. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The body is not a prison of the soul. The body is our home. This is my home. It is God's temple. The body is where I live. This is my address. 
The five senses of uh, smell, taste, sight, sound, touch, these are gifts that God has given us because we have a body. And so the Bible doesn't teach the immortality of the soul. Yes, we are immortal, and for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we will live forever in the presence of the Lord. Now, Christmas is coming. Yay! Christmas is coming. Yes, some of you are really excited about that. But, you know, uh, I love the, uh, some Christmas movies, and we like to watch them over and over and over again. One of my favorites, uh, the story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And, you know, near the beginning of that, you know, old miserly Scrooge, he, is, he experiences uh, a very frightening visitation from his old business partner, Bob Marley. And Bob Marley, when he appears to Scrooge in the night... He comes as a specter. He's like a phantom, um, a bodiless soul who's shackled with ch chains, the chains of the poor decisions he made in his life on earth. That is not at all what God has in store for us, a disembodied existence where we will just wander aimlessly through the universe in a ghost-like existence feeling homeless. Not at all. Uh, that is not heaven. That's probably more like hell. Jesus talked about hell as outer darkness. That's heaven is an embodied existence on the new earth. And so I want, I want to keep my body. Now, some of you whose bodies are a little broken, you're saying, I don't want to keep my body. But you know what? You're, when you hear this, you're going to say, I want to keep my body. And you'll see why. And I want to retain the senses. And in fact, maybe my senses that God has given me will be heightened in that day. I don't know. But having a, problem, having a body is not a problem that we need to be delivered from. The problem that we have in this life, in this world, is the problem of sin. And that's what Romans chapter 8 talks about. And that's what I preached about in a previous message. Is that sin has corrupted everything around us. Um, and so even the creation itself has uh, moved to a place of, of futility because of our sin. Sin is just us wanting to live our lives independently of God. It's like saying to God, God, I declare to you my independence. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Thank you very much. That's what sin does. Sin then uh, basically uh, manifests itself in a number of ways. Um, and, and you don't need a body to sin. For instance, do you think you need a body to be envious or to be jealous or to be greedy? None of those have anything to do particularly with the body or to hate somebody or to lie or cheat. Sin does not begin in the body. It begins in the soul, in the mind, in the heart. Jesus himself said this. Because the Jewish people had all these rules about what you should eat or drink. And uh, Jesus said, don't you know that it, it's not what we put into our mouth that corrupts us. But he said, it's what comes out of us that corrupts us. He said, it's what comes out of the heart. And the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. It is our hearts. It is our minds. Sin begins in the mind, in the thought life, in our emotions. 
And that is why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said this. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be like them. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, when your mind is renewed, you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's not the body that's the problem. Our heart sins. We have sinful thoughts. And that is then exercised through the body. In fact, here's, why the, here's another reason why the body is not the problem. Jesus was incarnated. He came from heaven to earth. He took on flesh. And he lived in a body. And the Bible says, yet, even though he was tempted in every way as we are, he was without sin. And so I think, folks, if we were really honest today, no matter what your view of heaven was, didn't you think those kids were kind of cute? You know, and there's, there's a lot of myths out there about heaven. There's a lot of fuzziness about heaven. And I'm just trying to, in this series, clear it up. Uh, but I think if we were honest, we, we would say that we want to keep our bodies in some form. Um, if we didn't think the body was important to our identity, to our existence, then why do we go through so much trouble to make our bodies attractive? Putting on makeup, sometimes fancy hairdos, doing, having a facial, wearing designer clothes and all that kind of a thing. Because we think the body has meaning. Why do we make our bodies, and we go through a lot of effort uh, to stay fit, perhaps, uh, to be strong, to, health, to be healthy, to diet, to exercise. Why do we pamper our bodies with manicures and pedicures and uh, non-therapeutic massages? Because life in the body's pretty good for a while, but it's going to get even better in the age to come. And so that leads me to a passage I want to talk about today. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is one of the best known chapters of the Bible. We, I call it the resurrection chapter. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 50. And I'll take us through just a little bit at a time. The Apostle Paul says this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, when he says flesh and blood here, that is just um, uh, an idiom for talking about these bodies of ours. We are flesh and blood. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that we, in these bodies of ours, cannot inherit God's kingdom. These bodies of ours, as they are now, are not suited for life in God's new creation. We cannot inherit what is to come. In fact, the Apostle Paul says these bodies are, he calls them the, the body of sin, the body of death. He refers to them as this mortal body. And even the most holy person who's ever lived eventually dies. And what Paul is saying in verse 50 He's saying, apart from a miracle of God, we're all doomed because this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that brings us to verse 51. And this is the good news part. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, the word mystery here is, it just refers to um, a divine secret. Something that 
at one time had not been made known, but had now been made known to God's holy apostles and prophets. He said, so here's this divine secret I want to let you in on. Know these bodies, as they are now, cannot inherit God's kingdom. But he said, here's the mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all change. Now, I got to tell you, so I was at a church once, and um, I was in the children's department, and I went over to where the nursery was, and they had um, this really interesting sign out front of the nursery. And on the sign, it said something like this, and it had an image kind of like the one you're going to see here. And it said this, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> and now that's not at all what the Apostle Paul meant. What he meant here, when he talks about sleep, the word sleep for the Christian was a euphemism for death. Christians have always had a unique view of death. Um, unlike the atheist who would say, when these bodies of ours die, it's the end of everything, the end of conscious existence. We go into the grave and that's, it's all over. Um, for the atheists, they believe that their loved ones uh, are irretrievably lost, and there's deep mourning about that. Uh, in fact, take a look at this quote on death. And it's, it's kind of sobering. It's crazy how someone who used to be a huge part of your life can be gone in a second. And that is sobering. But for those of us who believe in the resurrection, we will be reunited in that day. So for the Christian, we're more hopeful about it. Death is like being asleep. The Apostle Paul actually looked forward to leaving this body as it is not leaving a bodily existence, but this particular body as it is now. He said, for me to live is Christ, and if I die, it's gain. And he actually said, for me, it's preferable to die and be done with this earth and this life as it is now, and to go and be with the Lord. He wasn't afraid of death. Not at all. So, in this passage, verse 50, he's, uh, verse 51, he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Look what it says in verse 52. He says, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That word in the Greek is atomos, which is where we get the word atom, which they believe, you know, the smallest thing that's indivisible. And he said, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be Change. It's kind of like there will be a metamorphosis of each one of us. And I've been talking in the recent weeks about the chrysalis. You know how a caterpillar forms a chrysalis, and I think it takes like a week or two weeks, and it then emerges from this as a butterfly. It's completely transformed. But that takes a period of time. He's saying, when we are transformed on that day, when the Lord calls the dead out of their graves and we are all translated to be with him, those who are still alive on earth, we will all meet the Lord together and we will be changed suddenly in the twinkling of an eye, in a flash. And so the reason for that and the reason this is hopeful is in verse 50 he said, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And you go, oh. But he said, but a change is coming. 
You won't be flesh and blood, but you will have a body. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. That's why I wanted Trent to give that reading about Christ, because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no reason to expect that we will be risen from the dead. But because he was risen, this is our hope. Martyrs down for 2,000 years of history have given their lives and been willing to be burned at the stake and executed for this very faith. And so he says the trumpet will sound and that will signal those who are in their graves to come out and be raised to life. So death for the Christian, we're not so pessimistic about it. Death is like the doorway to a great promotion. We will be upgraded. For those of us who don't, who feel like our bodies are broken and things don't work properly, it, the Bible tells us good news about that. And this is in verse 53. He says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Think about this. Look at the word that's used. He says the perishable must clothe itself. Your flesh and blood body right now is perishable. But guess what? God is going to raise some part of you. He's going to bring all of the stuff of you together, and he's going to clothe you with your new body. I don't know how all that is going to work, there is a great mystery there, but God knows. And so that means there's some continuity between who you are now and who you will be then. People say, will I still be myself? Will people recognize me? Will I know then? Yes. Your identity, you'll still be you. When you were born again, if you're a Christian, when you were born again, you were still you. When I became a Christian, I still have memories Horrible memories and wonderful memories of my childhood, my youth, my adult years. I still remember. I'm still me. I'm still that collection of memories, but I have been transformed by the grace of God. And that transformation will be made perfect on that day. Think about Jesus. When he rose from the dead on the third day, he appeared to his disciples. There was physicality to Jesus. He came back. When we say, ask people, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? If you say yes to that, what you're saying is, yes, I believe he rose in a body, a physical, visible body. And there was some continuity between who he was before and who he was after the resurrection. Take a look at these verses. This is found in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke after Jesus rose from the dead. And it says, He appeared to his disciples, and they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? They thought they were seeing a ghost. He says, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? And then he says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. He says, look, I have hands, I have feet. He says, touch me and see. A ghost, he says, does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And take a look at this image. Uh, this image isn't completely accurate because 
the, the, the nail prints were probably in the wrist because that was considered part of the hand. But you get the point here. When Thomas, um, when Jesus appeared to Thomas a week later and Thomas says, I won't believe until I see him with my own eyes and touch him with my own hands. And Jesus showed, he said, look at the, where they pierced me in the side. Look at my hands. There was something from his previous body that carried over. But now he was made new. There was something different about this new body. He was still Jesus. Take a look at this. And then in verse 41, it says, While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them. He's trying to prove to them that he's physical, that he's actually there, that he came back in a new body. He said, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a pish, a, <laughs> a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Now, sometimes we think that's just a, a, a trivial little entry in the gospel account. Well, okay, so he had dinner with them. Oh, no, no, this is very significant. When he ate that fish, it was to say, I am real, I am physical, I am here, I have a body. And I think he was also saying that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be eating and there will be drinking and our bodies will be suited for that. It was still Jesus but in a new form. Look what he says in the, and we don't need to see this slide unless Aaron wants to bring it up, but in the last slide, Luke 24, 37 to 39, he said, look, touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones. Think about the words that he used there. He didn't say flesh and blood. When Jesus came back from the dead, he did not come back flesh and blood. He came back flesh and bones. He was made alive by the Spirit. This is like a fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel 37. When bone and sinew and flesh and spirit came upon those dead bones and they came alive. Jesus was flesh and bone. Because you see, flesh and blood, as we are now, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we will have new bodies. There will be a new form to those bodies. We will still be us. And there's still a bit of a mystery of exactly how these bodies will work. But they will be new and improved. So the Apostle Paul, he took it for granted that we would have bodies. Earlier in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, well, so what kind of bodies will these be? Well, we know this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 49. He says, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Right now, we bear the image of the earthly man. That's Adam. But then he says, in that day, we will bear the image of the heavenly man. That's the second Adam, Jesus. And I, I just love 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, on that day, he said, we will see him as he is. And when we see him as he is, we will become like him. We will behold his glory, and we will be glorified with him. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is on the screen. But our citizenship, our citizenship, it's not here, it's in heaven. And we eagerly, eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, watch this, by his power he will transform our lowly bodies, the same bodies, the body that you're sitting with right now, so that they will be like his glorious body, his body of flesh and bone.
And so then he says in verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? It's kind of a taunt. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Since the days of Adam and the sin of Adam, death has ruled over every one of us. The fear of death has. Everyone dies in the end. But the Christian has the hope of the resurrection of the body on a redeemed earth. Because through the cross where Jesus died, he killed death once and for all. Hebrews chapter 2, this won't be on the screen. This is what it says, and it's talking about us. We're the children. Since we, the children, have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus disarmed the power of Satan and the fear of death that has ruled over humanity. In one commentary I read, it said this, and I'm quoting, Death is a malignant adversary, torturing people. But Christ has drawn its sting, and it is harmless to those who are in him. And so verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death is not the problem. Death is the symptom the problem is sin. And we will be delivered from our sinful existence. That's why he could say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no longer a fear of death for those who believe in Christ. Death does not get the last word. And that's why Jesus' resurrection is so important. Because your resurrection, my resurrection, hinges on his. If life ended at the grave, or we became disembodied spirits, then death would get the last word. If the heavens and the earth were irrevocably destroyed, death would get the last word. If our bodies were not raised, perfect and imperishable, then death would get the last word. But thanks be to God. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is my message to you, my encouragement to you, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Would you do that this morning? Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Earlier, we honored one of our veterans, Ralph McLean, who died earlier this year, well into his 90s. You know, he really did give his life for our freedom. He survived the Second World War. He survived a torturous existence when he was a prisoner of war in Japan. 
uh, he took with him some of the bodily infirmities that went with that. I had lunch with him quite often. I remember visiting him in a senior's residence, and many of you have done the same. And I remember sometimes when Ralph would get up out of his chair, and he would get up very slowly, and he, would have to, he said he would have to find his legs. He couldn't feel anything below his knee. I remember when he began to lose his vision. In fact, when I met him, I think he'd already lost much of it. And I remember how difficult it was for him as he got older, and more and more of his body began to break down. Folks, Ralph will be made new. He will be made new. God is going to take that raw material of who he was and of his broken body, and God is going to clothe him with a body that is immortal, imperishable, and perfect in every way. And this is our hope. And now I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for the hope that you have given us through the scriptures, Lord, but the scriptures testify of Christ and of his death and resurrection. And Lord, because of the hope that we have that one day our bodies will be raised and clothed with our new bodies on a new redeemed earth, Lord, that's something we can celebrate. And so, Lord, you said to us, therefore, stand firm. And I want to just ask you right now, would you say, Lord, right now, give me the grace to stand firm and to not be moved in my faith? And, Lord, may you also give me the grace to continue to serve you fully, undaunted, Lord, by discouragement because I know that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I know, Lord, that everything that I do in the name of Christ will go ahead of me and that I will one day receive my reward. And so I want to ask you right now if you would make this commitment. Yes, we're looking forward to a heaven that is to come, a new heavens and a new earth. But we need to do things right on this present earth because this is practice. This is our training ground. And everything we say and do in this life goes ahead of us into the life to come. So would you take care of yourself and then take care of others around you and take care of this earth. Imagine for a minute what is awaiting us imagine the glory that we are going to enjoy on that day when we see him as he is and become like him with these new bodies we'll have a new start a new life a new body on a new earth we will not be exiles we will not be homeless our next life will be our best life because we will be changed, upgraded, transformed. There will be eternal flourishing and there will be no more sin, no decay, no death. So friends, do not lose heart. Do not give up. Hold on. Endure to the end. 
Be fully devoted to Christ and put your hope in the life to come. Now go into your world and be the change so that everything that you say and do will bear witness to the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.